Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I want to talk about booze. Alcohol has played a huge role in my life and is responsible for some of its highs and a lot of its lows. I'm interested in what role it plays in other people's lives and how things like age, race, class, sex, religion, geography, profession, health conditions, family history, and good old-fashioned trial and error affect what they drink and why they drink it. I'm not here to preach to anyone. I'm certainly in no position to do that. I'm just looking for a better understanding of alcohol's role in Britain in 2019. This is The Drink. Please listen responsibly. Hello, Hannah here. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm having a cup of tea. I'm getting this recorded now so I can sit down and watch Les Mis because I know how to enjoy myself on a Sunday evening. I've actually got two episodes recorded in the last week. The one that's coming up in which I talk to Helen Thorne and Ellie Gibson, otherwise known as the Scummy Mummies. And also I had comedian Lou Conran round my house and something very odd happened. We got drunk. That's maybe not odd. What is odd is we drank gin and tonic and then we drank red wine and neither of us were ill in the morning. And as you'll hear from that one, both Lou and I are not good in the morning when we've been drinking. So if anyone out there understands what weird alchemy that was, I'm certainly interested. But yes, as I said, coming up now is a chat I had with Helen and Ellie. Cut a long story short, we ended up in a Weatherspoons because, and this is a tip to podcasters, they don't have background music, which makes it quite easy to record in there. And also, £6.99 around. Can't go wrong. Anyway, that's coming up now. Just a wee reminder, you can chat to me on Twitter, where I am, at The Drink Podcast, and Facebook, where I am, at The Drink Podcast. Welcome to new listeners and subscribers I picked up last week. It's nice to have you on board. Until next week. Hi, I am in, if you can believe it, the Weatherspoons in Forest Hill. Yeah. Classy lady, Hannah. Good times. No. I'm with the Scummy Mummies, Ellie. Hi. And Helen. Hello there. And we are very near what appears to be a very loud date. You might be able to hear some of that later. I know, I'm slightly distracted because I haven't been on a date for 20 years. I'm like, what? what's that about? What do they do on a date these days? Well, shout at her by the look of oh, it. Oh, that's yeah. what women like, though, is being shouted at in a Weatherspoons. I mean, I think yeah. she's in. Judging by her body language, she's facing more towards me than she is this man. I feel I like mean, going over there and asking if she wants some crisps or something <laughs> just to get her out of it. So what are we drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a pint of Heineken. And I am drinking what Ellie's drinking because Helen is drinking 
cider, which Hannah hates. So we're off to a good start. I will have a beer on a hot afternoon, but I'm not I'm not an everyday beer drinker. You like a beer with a curry? Yes, don't I you? do. I've never seen you not to have a beer with a oh, curry. Oh god, that's lovely. Now I predicted that we were going to drink a bottle of wine. I don't know why I thought that. There's, we do like wine. Yes, exactly right. And we drink a lot of it on our own podcast. But we are in a Weatherspoons. Uh, I don't know if their sommelier is working this evening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I do. I like a lager. I'm in a pub. I like a lager. What I don't like is I will not countenance any real ale, craft ale, none of that shite that tastes like bath water with marmite in. I cannot be doing with it. I don't like that. Every year, Helen will know this because she used to live in Cambridge for the Cambridge Beer Festival, and everyone gets very excited about it every year I get talked into going and then I get there and I think I don't like any of this shit and it's about seven pounds a fine yeah it's why revolting. am I here it's revolting my friend Steve Hill always says we've spent hundreds of years refining beer and turning it into lager you know removing all the stuff that makes it taste horrible and putting in chemicals so it tastes nice and clean and crisp and cold why would you want to go back to that you want sediment don't you you want it to taste like a like a dirty dish pan that's what people are like mmm it's so yeah. arty this round I was saying this weather spoons pint of Magnus two pints of Heineken soda and lime for refreshment six ninety nine. Shut Very the reasonable. Fucking door. It is a shame that the bloke who runs it supports Brexit. Otherwise, I've been here all the fucking time. We're drinking shame. Brexit beer. Is that what you're saying? It's a shame he will have to close all his pubs when he can't employ people from the continent anymore because of what he's helped to do. But apart from that, so I know because I was listening to your podcast, Ellie in particular, that you have been taking part in what can be described as more mindful drinking. Mindful drinking. Yeah, it's 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 less wanky than it sounds. <laughs> It's not about like supping a pint and enjoying the yeasty, hoppy flavour, which as we've established, I couldn't give less of a shit about anyway, really. So, so there's this woman called Rosamond Dean who wrote this book called Mindful Drinking, and I read it, and I just loved it so much that we've got to get her on the podcast. And it's basically about drinking less, to be honest. It's basically for people who kind of think, I don't want to do dry January, I don't want to go teetotal, I don't want to give up booze forever. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not getting shit-faced every night, drinking all vodka at 9am but I think I'm probably drinking more than I should be, either for my health or my mental health or whatever, and I would just like to drink less. And that's definitely where I was. I was drinking, like, a lot. Um, and I read this book, and now I have... I've not stopped drinking, but I have cut down. And I feel better for it. So Don't, how does it how <laughs> She does said smugly. So Rosamond's suggestion in the book is you should do a month of dry drinking. Which I sort of did, didn't I? Because I did, did. Like, I did the Joe Wicks fitness plan around the same time, which involves not drinking. So I sort of did that, and I had a few days off here and there, and that was fine. And the idea is that changes your mindset, and, and it changes the things you sort of believe about drinking. Things like, I have to have a drink if I'm in a pub, or I have to have a drink to have a good time, or if I'm at a social occasion, I have to have a drink to be outgoing or funny or whatever it is. It makes you think about that. And it made me think about that as, a lot, because as a comedian, I would never, ever drink before I go on stage. We never have a drink sometimes no. people turn up at theatres and they go would you like a Jaeger bomb because you know you talk about drinking and we're like no because this is our job and we do yeah. take it moderately seriously so I would never drink before I went on stage but yet somehow when I was out in a pub I was thinking oh I'll have a few beers and then I'll be funny and, and I start thinking well that's that's double think isn't it that doesn't make any sense so it's good to it made me think about stuff like that it sort of presses the reset button because I I, I did about two weeks no drinking and, and also just about what you associate it with it's, it's like emotional drinking because you go oh I, I just I want to drink because I'm tired or I want to drink because I've had a really shit day yeah. with a kid it's a, like a reward system especially as a, as a mother and just to reset that and kind of 
I guess wipe the slate clean a bit is good actually do I really need that drink you know I think that I want it but I just associate it with a reward I'll, I'll treat myself with something else it's very difficult because obviously I don't have kids and I absolutely in no way want to judge how anybody gets don't judge through. away it's God. what makes us human judging it's is what fun. makes us human <laughs> I love a bit of judging. I read a thing. It's about wine o'clock. And so I conducted an experiment and I went on Facebook. Yeah, a lot of friends posted the words wine o'clock. And a lot of them were mums. To me, it looked like it became that watershed of they are in bed. This is my time. I will demonstrate that this is my time by having a drink. Yeah, and because especially when you have young children, you can't go out. You know, I remember there was like nine months when I hadn't left my house and I just think having a glass of wine makes you feel like you're doing something for yourself yeah. and, and connects you with the old times. Mm. But then when it gets too much, when you're opening the door and you can see half the bottle of white wine, you're like, oh, I'll just polish that off and things like that. You're not really being, you're not being mindful of how you're consuming that much alcohol and it adds up pretty quickly as well. At university, so I would have been... 1920 I got a job in a restaurant and they had a little bar I was always getting told off for the fact that when I opened a bottle of wine I would throw the cork away and then when it came to the end of the day the guy would be like where's the cork where's the cork for this like that's like a 40 pound bottle of wine and I'd be like oh yeah throw it away and and I had just never seen in my life seen a bottle of wine open that wasn't finished yeah yeah it was just so alien to me like you would need this thing it would be like keeping the plastic wrap in of a a cd so you could like wrap it back up again i was like why would you need that it just (laughs) never ever occurred to me you're talking about the days of old so uh, sorry to immediately johnny foreigner you helen i've been to australia i lived there for a while but obviously you've lived here a lot longer so how does drinking culture in Britain compared to drinking culture in Australia? I I was kind of surprised when I came here about, well, A, the size of your alcoholic measures and serves, but B, how much people drink. Like, I drink a lot more and... in the UK than I you do at like home. You have like schooners, don't you? So yeah. They're less than a pint, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're sort of like three quarters. And I never I never knew a thing of small, medium and large glasses of wine. Like when you went out for a glass of wine, you had a glass of wine. And they were quite tiny in Australia, a bit like France. And yeah, I, I was quite surprised. I, I won't say shocked because, you know, I, our cultures aren't that different. Yeah, I did notice the quantity and frequency of drinking was a lot more or higher. And also that in Australia you, you had like barbecues and you drank socially at home or other, other people's places. But pubs feel like people's lounge room, especially when I moved over here when I was in my 20s and in Cambridge. We all lived in tiny houses. So we always just met at the pub and you'd stay there until yeah. kind of closing. So, yeah, I think I like the culture of drinking here. It's really jolly and, but yeah, I do. I do find myself drinking a lot more, and I drink more with friends here than I did back home as well. But I mean, I think that just depends on who your friends are and all that sort of stuff as well. But um, it depends. Yeah, and your job and all. I, I yeah. sort of like one of the reasons I, as Henry will tell you, I, I am a, I'm a great pint drinker. I, I'm, yeah. Look at look how far I am far ahead of you. Right? Yeah. Not this competition. I have to move mine though because weirdly I kept talking into it like it was a microphone. <laughs> But I sort Hello. of learnt to drink uh, pints because I, I drank at university, but I'd always drink vodka and coke, and that was always my thing. And then one of my first jobs was uh, we're a journalist for a video games magazine up in Macclesfield. It was awful, and the office was on this motorway. I had to walk along this motorway to get to work so I couldn't drive. It was next to a little chef. Like, it was, like, hilarious. Wow. So there wasn't a lot to do, and we never socialised after work because everyone would drive home. 
but on Friday lunchtime we would go to the Vernon Arms down, we would all get in Martin's car about eight of us in his tiny car and he would drive us to the Vernon Arms which was a terrible pub it was so brightly lit it was like a Debenhams lighting department it was awful <laughs> And we'd go, and we'd have like an hour and a bit, you know, to have lunch, which would consist of pints. And I was the only girl, because you're always the only girl in video games back then. Now there's sometimes two, but uh, I was the only girl. And I learnt from these men, because I sort of did have a thing of I wanted to keep up with them. I did like lager, so that wasn't a problem. But I watched them sink these pints, and they would do three in an hour. So we could go back to the office slightly pissed, and then it would finish at four on a Friday, and then we could all go home and have a lovely time. So it was with them that I learnt to sink a, sink a pint in 20 minutes. And it's a skill that, you know, has served me so well through the years. <laughs> oh, my God, she took it internationally. I, I see Ellie, Ellie and I went to Nepal last year, and I could see Ellie chucking back large bottles of tubal in yeah. the back of a truck in Nepal and she could just drink it like like anywhere. It was very, it was very dehydrated. Did you not spend hot. the whole afternoon at pain? No, I did have to, in Nepal, I did have to stop the car quite often to have yeah, a pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I had to stop the car in the middle of a hailstorm at the top of a mountain <laughs> and they were like, there's nowhere to stop and I was like, just stop the car, it's fine. <laughs> I'm pissed and I've got a waterproof down coat on. So I just got out and pissed and like, the lightning was going. She's terrified of heights and she was terrified generally yeah. and I was just there going, I've never felt so alive <laughs> it was like a scene out of Highlander it yeah. was amazing oh yeah. beer gave you that now you were talking about the old days so let's go there let's go way old days well what I started drinking when I was five is okay, that what yeah. you want? when was the first time you were drunk Kelly um, when I was about 14 15 I was at my friend's house party and I'd never been drunk before and I like I was inv- I was never invited to these cool parties and for some reason I think they took pity on me and they invited me and they said oh we'll get you really drunk and I was like oh great not having no real concept of what that even was um, and then I remember embarrassingly drinking a lot of Thunderbird and God. being pissed and I do remember thinking this is like great but I also remember saying what's going on what's going on Lucy you said you would get me really pissed I'm not pissed and everybody laughing so like, <laughs> um, yeah so that's my first memory. but I don't think I was sick or anything. I, d- I went back to someone's house for a sleepover and I did wake up quite early and think, oh, I feel a bit weird. I just want to go home. I went home really early in the morning, which obviously was weird in itself. And they all, f- all thought I was weird and I didn't get invited to normal parties. But I just remember thinking, oh, I'd just like to be at home now. So, yeah, it was a strange, it was a strange few hours. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? How old were you? Oh, I mean, we talked about this before. I mean, I was 13, but... We drank quite a lot as teenagers because some friends, their dad was an alcoholic. He used to buy a bottle of gin, put it down, and then say, oh, I've lost that gin, and go out and buy more of it. And so we would take the gin and we would get pissed. So my young teenage drinking, like 14, 15, always gin and always Gordon's. And many, many, many years later, I had a Proust's Madeline moment. I was working in a pub. And somebody asked for a gin and tonic, and I opened the tonic, and I poured it in, and I thought, oh, holy fuck. And things yeah. that I had forgotten yeah. came rushing back to me, and I had it about gin and tonic. What about you, Helen? What's the first time you were drunk? Well, I grew up in country Australia, so it was quite easy to drink because friends would have parties out, out in their paddocks. And so I had a sleepover at a friend's house, and we were all sleeping in tents, and I got dr- so drunk, I set my pubes on fire. <laughs> I mean, we've all done it. No, we haven't. Nobody's done that. So we were having like a campfire and, and, you know, I'm a natural, natural show off. And I thought I was being really risque. And I said, I'm going to light my pubes on fire. And I literally, (laughs) my bush just went, 
Woof. And you think that's risque? Australian burlesque. <laughs> Genital pyrotechnics. <laughs> and then I'm going to stick a Catherine oh. wheel up my ass. <laughs> I was ahead of my time. Um, I really was. <laughs> I see you, David Blaine. Uh, and it smelt so bad. Because, you know, like, burnt hair is bad. Yeah. But burnt flange hair is not nice so I did that and I burnt a massive hole in my t-shirt and I felt really shameful like I woke up in the morning I was like I like that you're ashamed like the, the hole in the t-shirt is what you find the shameful <laughs> not the fucking showing up on your pubes and setting fire to no. them my dad set fire to himself once when what to I, his downstairs no to his whole self <laughs> at a barbecue my mum was pregnant with my brother so I reckon that would made me nine he tried to light the barbecue several times, obviously, and then just gone off and found some lighter fluid or whatever. And he just went up. Like, oh, and, no. And really, my uncle basically ran over and rolled him around on the grass. And it, well, I was glad he did because I don't know what uh, what the rest of us would have done. My mum was nine months pregnant. I was nine. I don't know what would have happened. But you go into shock. If you see someone on fire, you kind of don't... He smelled so bad for such a long time because literally eyebrows, pubes, everything just singed singed it um, does it does last a long time sometimes she does a fanny fart to this day and a smoke signal comes out <laughs> oh, oh love what did you use sorry yeah what did you a lighter a lighter yeah I just thought because we were smoking because we were like about 14 and you were cool yeah I was so cool yeah and then I don't know what came over me oh it was obviously we were drinking like the equivalent of WKD so it was like what we called a west coast cooler so dreadful shit uh Anyway, I don't do it, I would say. If you're, Just if you're say listening. no, kids. If you're thinking... <laughs> public you're service thinking. now. Exactly. Listeners, if you're thinking of setting fire to your pubic hair with a lighter in country Australia in the early 1990s, please can we suggest refrain? Yeah. Stay away. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, where do we go from there? Ellie Gibson, what's the worst... What Or, or the funniest thing you've done, Pissed? Um... I probably can't remember it. I mean, the chances are. I, I've had some... I remember the, the sort of worst... Contextually, the worst hangover I had was when I was uh, in my early 20s and I was a games journalist and we got sent to Romania for this press trip for this video game about guns and it was just... It was all awful. And I got absolutely shit-faced the night before in a Romanian strip club because that was that was what was open till 4am. That's where I wouldn't go there now. I've been to Romania and a bottle of beer, like a little stubby bottle of beer, was the equivalent of 10p we were absolutely <laughs> just off our tits well this well this is it there was and there was a lot of that because on these press trips as well it was all expenses paid so all the alcohol was paid for so you, you were 50p's worth yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Billion just, silly. <laughs> but we would get absolutely fucking hammered because we never yeah. had to pay the bills and it got to, I stringed up 4 or 5am and then went to bed and then the next day was like the big sort of games day and like we had to go and look at the video game which was traumatic in itself but then they'd organised like this big event on the rooftop of this hotel and it was like a sort of weird sort of assault course where you had to go and you had to like fire a machine gun because that's supposed to be fun I don't I don't get it but it was all an again it was all boys gun. they liked an actual machine gun because that's what you can do machine you know didn't do a lot for me but apparently people like that sort of thing uh, and then there was these other things and then there was this you had to do a little stunt movie um, with these this dude who was James Bond's stunt double which involved doing like a trampoline and then a run and then you had to sort of jump through this hoop of fire at the end and I was so fucking hungover. And again, I was very young, and I didn't want to sort of look unprofessional or let anyone down. These days, we're just going, I'm going back yeah. to bed, fuck off, I've seen the game. But I was like, oh, I've got to join in, I've got to be one of the lads. 
So I would be like learning how to do a forward roll off this trampoline, and then I'd literally be going to the corner of the rooftop and vomiting. Oh my god! <laughs> and then I'd go back and jumping for a hoop of fire. Like it was, it was hilarious. And then one of my friends told me that night they were in the bar and they overheard the James Bond stuntman going. And you won't believe it, this girl, yeah, she was amazing. She kept doing all these stunts and she's throwing up. Get her on the next film. <laughs> Come on. So, you could have yeah. been, Ellie, you could have been. Could have been. What were your first encounters of alcohol like? How was it used around you when you were a kid? So my parents, they're not into spirits. They don't, my dad likes a whiskey sort of late at night, but not big cocktail drinkers or anything like that. My mum likes a bit of wine um, and my dad is a big drinker. Uh, loves a pub, loves pints of beer. He's because he's done a lot of. Um, he's an actor, but obviously that involves quite a lot of other jobs. And one of them was motorbike careering. So he knows London really well. He's like a taxi driver, but he knows London by pubs. So you'll go, oh, I've got to go to um, Torrington Road, Dad. And you'll go, oh, yeah. What you want to do is you take a left at the Pauline Arms. Very good pint of Youngs. <laughs> so he likes to drink. He still likes to drink. I, I think, and I've told him this. I think he drinks too much. But and how did he respond to that? As someone who spent. 30 years telling their dad that he drank too much. How does that go down with your dad? Ah, wow, wow, wow. It's basically that for three hours. Okay. There's yeah. not a great dinner point. And he's very much embedded in a drinking culture. He goes to this cricket club in Dulwich and they all drink there and he rides his bike home because he thinks that's not... He would never drive drunk. He would never drive a car drunk. But he thinks... And this is another argument I've had to his face. He thinks driving a bicycle drunk is sort of all right which is worrying. I actually got picked up by the police for driving a bicycle drunk when I was at university did you yeah. did you get done for it uh, no I, I... Oh, don't tell him that uh, <laughs> yes if, 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 <laughs> if, if you're, if, listening, if you're listening Ellie's dad then yes I did but in truth I got told off a friend of mine only has one eyebrow from falling off his bike while pissed Wow. Yeah, can you imagine if it was you? It would yeah. just be awful. Well, I mean, look at this. You wouldn't want to... This no, to be don't asymmetrical. Mess don't uh. mess with that. Yeah, because I, I lived in Cambridge for four years. I I rode drunk many, many times. Yeah. I'm sure many people do there. And I, I, I don't drive a car, mainly because, yeah, the last 20 years I've been with the same bloke and he's always been the designated driver. So I was, I've always been pissed. So, yeah, I, I've ridden drunk many times and quite frighteningly so like not remembering getting home well that's interesting you say about designated driver because when I was in Australia what I noticed there was they seem to be more advanced than us in a number of ways such as they had P plates at the time which we didn't and if you're on a P plate you can have zero yeah like your blood um, yeah you can't get alcohol caught. level is zero and also there used to be bars and clubs that if you just said, I'm the designated driver, they gave you shit for free. Whereas, yeah. whereas here, I mean, I can't imagine anywhere in this country, or at that point, giving you a free Coke or whatever. There's people who moan about giving you tap water. So you, you, Australia did seem to be set up more to encourage people not to drink. Also, your, your licence is such a precious thing in Australia because it is... Everything is so far away from everything else. Like, it's such a massive country, and that it is such a precious thing. You don't want to ever screw that up. No. And there's so many... We have a thing called a booze booze bus. Do you have that? Uh, maybe so, we do. I've never been invited on one. Do we have a booze so, bus? So that would be set up by the police, and so you'd say, oh, the booze bus is out tonight, the booze bus is on that road. So you're driving along, and you'd get swayed over and have, have to be breathalyzed. And there'd be breathalyzers basically, on all the major points outside the town. And so they were very... There's lots of deaths, obviously, because yeah. people, you know... But we, I was surprised. One of the biggest... 
Eye Openers was recently at a gig in Somerset and Ellie and I were talking to the women at our gig and they were quite pissed. We're like, oh, are you driving home? They're like, oh, yes, of course. Five and drive, which means five glasses or five drinks and drive home. We're like, what the fuck? I know. It was quite shocking. Yeah. yeah. Not, sorry. Five and drive, five, five and, and drive. drive. Five and drive. This is in this country. In Somerset. In Somerset, yeah. I mean, that is in this country, isn't it? Can you confirm that? It is. And I they're mean, all driving, like, Range Rovers. I know it's, like I know it's very easy to say when I live in a place that, at the very least, there's a bus runs down the bottom of my street. At the very least, I have legs that move forward. I could walk home. Mm. So I know it's harder when you live in a rural community, but... Five, Jesus! I mean, five is like a bottle of wine, at least, right? At least, like, if you have it, but if you have large glass, it's like three large glasses are in one. Like you could have a bottle and a half, really. That is absolutely staggering. Yeah, because I mean, my my dad used to do it. In fact, my dad was done when I was a kid for drink driving because he had a really bad accident, and he's lucky he didn't die. And actually. As an adult, what I've now realised is he was more lucky he didn't kill someone. Yeah. Because that, I think, is the thing that... Well, this is how I feel about my dad on the, on the bike. Because I'm, I don't ride a bike, but I drive, and I drive quite a lot like, late at night because of gigs and stuff, and I'm terrified of crashing into a drunk cyclist because they weave in front of my car, and I feel no, yeah. like that's so my honest. life fucked, yeah. and they're dead, which obviously is slightly worse. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. like, I'm like, what if, if you cause an accident, Dad, that someone else has to live with, yeah. you know... But not just somebody else. I mean, the endless rows I used to have with my dad later in his life mate maybe you can live with that but the shame that will fall on this family when we live in a small town yeah so you've done that then what if you kill one of our neighbors but in his defense he grew up at a time when drink driving wasn't illegal and he, he used to have some hilarious stories you were there was, Hannah. it was, it was <laughs> so funny, funny and it was fine but <laughs> yeah. of our generation no. it's never been like that it's no. like you wear a condom you wear a seatbelt you don't drink and drive they're like the rules many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, it's the same my dad, as I say, is steeped in this sort of cricket club culture. A lot of his mates do drive cars home drunk. I used to think I'd sort of inherited my love of booze a bit from my dad, I guess, because, like, and, like, before I was married, me and my dad did the coast-to-coast walk, um, which is, like, 200 miles across the width of Britain, um, which is brilliant. And on about day three, I realised we basically signed up for a 200-mile pub crawl. Because <laughs> all we would do every day, we'd walk 15 miles, and then we'd just go and sit in a pub and have, like, three pints each, play backgammon, have a nice roast dinner and go to bed. And it was oh, I love a bit of backgammon. Oh, so good. So good. But, yeah, like, that, we just basically did a pub crawl. So I sort of thought, 
you know, that's where I've sort of got it from. But then your parents didn't drink, don't drink no, hardly at all. No, well, this is it. Like, my mum has never been drunk. Her parents were alcoholics, and my dad's a vicar. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, and so I'm one of five kids, and we all love a booze. But, but like, you know, we would have, like, one tiny glass of wine at dinner, and that would be it. Like, mum would never have more than maybe one, two glasses of wine, you know, once a week. The Sunday roast after church, that would be it. And that wasn't always... They wouldn't always have booze with lunch. Now I can't think of having a Sunday lunch without... A nice, a nice bottle of red or whatever. So yeah, and so and she really hated booze. She hated anything about it, and she had that kind of very black and white view of what alcohol yeah. alcoholics were. And I remember the first time she saw me drunk. She didn't see. She wasn't there obviously when I let my pubes on fire. Thank God. <laughs> but she was there when I was in year eleven, like the second last year of high school. I went to an end of year party, and I drank six pints of wine. Like six, all, all you know, like pots of wine, and I couldn't stand up. And like she had to pick me up from a party, and she was furious. She, I remember her just screeching. It was just like I can't even remember the words. And I was really, really, really hungover. And she made me go to church the next day to my brother's confirmation as like sort of punishment. Like I had to go and repent. Uh, she was, yeah, she was furious. Um, so yeah, so I, but I, I don't have that sort of negative view of it. But I, I, I got from her that she hated it and and she still does i think she doesn't like that kind of drinking culture at all but she only sees it with very negative yeah eyes which i have to kind of respect i can't say oh chill out yeah no, i love drinking come on get pissed with me you know i have to respect that but none of us none of us have teetotaled or you know taken that on yeah i mean i always think it's not quite the same but you know everyone i know who got smacked as a child doesn't smack their children yeah. yeah and everyone i know who didn't get smacked as a child doesn't smack their children <laughs> so it seems like there is no hard and fast rule yeah although no, never too late to start yeah so, so drinking my mom, or smacking your children drinking right so my mum's 72 and as I said, she she always like had a few glasses of wine especially on a holiday she'd have a few glasses of wine you know I've, I've seen her you know tipsy but never certainly never like really smashed so she drank a bit growing up, but recently she, she had one or two glasses with meals and stuff. But she said to my husband, in fact, the other week, she went, yeah, I think I might start drinking more. <laughs> he said, what? And she went, well, you lot all get really into it and you seem to have a really good time. So if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> he went, OK, well, yeah, fine. We'll Come sort on you out. <laughs> but I do always wonder that with people who are generally sober of how exhausting it must be to yeah. be around drunk people all the time mm. oh I learned that when I was pregnant with both oh, like yeah, yeah. so because yeah. that was sort of you know sobriety I was going to say enforced but yeah enforced sobriety and I, I know now that it gets to about 10 o'clock at night it's all really jolly and you feel like yeah it's all good fun and then about 10 o'clock at night everyone starts it's like a tipping point everyone starts getting really boring and repeating themselves blah, blah, and blah, blah, really blah, blah, loud yeah. and you're suddenly or I used to certainly be like oh I just suddenly feel so tired yeah. and when you're pregnant that's actually it's quite easy to go oh you know I'm, just, I'm a delicate flower I've got to go now and nobody judges you yeah. if you're not pregnant and not drinking people are a bit more like oh here you go what are you going I should have a drink <laughs> so I might just start pretending I'm pregnant all the time when I don't want to drink yeah. quite often when you're, you're not drinking people ask you if you're pregnant because there's only yeah. about four possible reasons for not drinking that 
people's brains can comprehend. Yeah, well, again, Rosamond's book, Mindful Drinking, is full of practical tips, and like, and some of them are, yeah, just lies. You can tell yeah. if you cannot be bothered yeah. to have the conversation about, oh, why are you drinking? If you just can't deal with that. You know, she's just like, here's what you should say and stuff like that. And she says things like, you should have a signature non-alcoholic drink. So when you get into the pub and someone says, what do you want to drink? You don't go, oh, uh, should I have a Coke? Or, oh, maybe I'll have a glass. What You just go, Fokker and, uh, uh, not Fokker, Soda and Lime. That's my drink, Soda and Lime. Yeah. And then that's my drink and that's what I'm drinking. And well, I mean, yeah. that has improved somewhat because I can remember going on holiday to Dublin with my cousins and one of my aunts. When we, were, when we were young, like early, I don't know, maybe not even early 20s, we went over to Dublin. And my aunt doesn't drink because we are all getting drunk because we're in Dublin. And she was like, Yeah, oh, I can't drink any more orange juice or <laughs> Diet Coke. I can't. I'm like full to the very brim of Things have improved on that front. Yeah. There are more things available. But as Greg Jenner pointed out to me, they are increasingly expensive, almost mm. as expensive as boots. Yeah, because your mocktails might be like six quid and your cocktails are seven quid. You're like, well, you know, like yeah. all your fancy your fancy Sipsmiths and all those sort of things. And, and it, it's shit that people have to make an excuse. Like, it's like, why Why is that anyone's business, whether you're getting pissed or not? And it's more of an insult to the drinker. He's like, oh, but th- does that make me a bad person that I'm, yeah. you know... You're suggesting I drink too much. Like, no, I'm just... Just not drinking. No, it touches the nerve. It touches the nerve. It really does. Especially here, I think, because there's just something so odd about British culture. I mean, I say that and we're sitting in a Weatherspoons. I mean, these are... This is the best of, best of best. All all human life is here. (laughs) Someone else has joined the date, look. And the woman is just... She's looking at her phone. She's just looking at her phone. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's not a date. Maybe it's maybe maybe it's a different kind of date to the one we heteronormatively. Yes, exactly it was. right. That we're that I'm I am accustomed to. Maybe they are going to form an only connect team. Maybe they're doing a podcast about drinking. <laughs> so you were saying earlier about the number of women at your show, or a number of women at your shows who says things to you like, "Hey, we get pissed and drive home." Now I've been to one of your shows and. I think my overriding memory of it, outside from the fact that you were funny and it was also near my house, it had a 45-minute interval because the queue at the bar was so long. Yeah. yeah. That happened a lot, does it? Every time, basically. And, and we've got to the point now, because we've been doing our live show for five and a half years, that we, have, we send out a warning to the theatre a good couple of weeks ahead saying, please, stock your, stock your bars with Prosecco and white wine. Put on an extra cash bar. Yeah. if you can because we've we've got to venues and and haven't even started the show when they've sold out of white wine what did the guy in Belfast say oh so the barman in Belfast told me he had never he'd been a barman for 25 years and he'd never sold so much white wine in his whole career in Belfast <laughs> wow. in fucking Belfast so yeah that's yeah it is insane and, and that was from, right from the beginning because we did our yeah. first shows at the Signal just down the road which used to be the Hob uh, it's changed hands now but back in the day yeah we did our first show there and we said to Ron the, the landlord you're going to need more white wine Ron I've looked in the fridges so we went to Sainsbury's and he got more white wine but he didn't get any more glasses so come like half ten at night there's all these women rolling around with pints of white wine yeah. my husband went to put the props in the car and he saw three different kinds of sick on the way to the, <laughs> to the car 
so that happens a lot and yeah we did a gig recently which was a huge gig like 850 people and we said to them in advance like we were like you're gonna need like maybe do a Prosecco cash bar and they were like "Uh, we've done this a lot we know exactly what we're doing and I was like okay we'll see and then after the show I came out into the theatre and they were there was a group of men just standing around just looking at the floor they cleared away the seats and it was just covered in bottles wine bottles and glasses and And they were just looking and I was like you're right lads and one of them said to me I've never seen anything like it and I was like well I did warn you (laughs) it's a big night out and so you know so we're the scummy mummies we do the scummy mummy show around the country and where we go is that we'll go to theatres and I would say our audience is about 90% women and some of the women who come along haven't been out for six months or they haven't been out for three months and they get together with their mates and it's a big it's a big release you know they're having a good time this is just for them and especially because our audience are mothers like there's so few things that are just for them and so the way that they celebrate is to have a lot of Prosecco and white wine and gin. And, um, yeah, and now we, we, we just know that's what our show's going to be like. Does it make them difficult to control? No. Sometimes. Like, at, yes, like we've true. had some show, and sometimes people are so pissed that oh, they, the talk, they just want to chat and it's all... Yeah. Sometimes, but, but generally... But yeah, I, I think that I think the issue is because because we sound like we're celebrating. I, I'm not I'm not overjoyed that people are going home vomiting. That's not what I'm saying. That's not our goal. Is to make people vomit. Is to make people laugh. But I sort of understand it because they're not going to the pub every Friday nights with their mates. They're not going to watch the football on Saturday afternoon and knock you back a few pints. So drink almost is sort of not, or certainly drinking socially is not normalised for them. It's not something they get to do very often. Yeah. So when they come to our show and there's 400 other women. It's like there's nothing else quite like it in their lives, you know. And that's so, like Helen said, it's this big release, and it it, it feels like a a bit like a sort of girls' night out. Someone likened it to a rally because it was like there were all these women, similar age, similar kind of situation, and it felt like a coming together, like and kind of saying. You know, you're going to be okay and all that sort of I stuff. I suppose so the it's upside... It's a big party. The upside of that is that they're of an age group as well where they're going to make sure... Somebody else is actually going to make sure they get home. Yeah, yeah. And we did have that incident in Tunbridge Wells, do you remember again? So this was, I think, last oh, yes. Christmas. Christmas yeah, yeah, yeah. before the one just gone. That was our most craziest, I would say. That was really crazy. And they were really, really... But they were pissed before we even started. So really pissed around. There was a bit of chat and we had to do it. And that was all fine. And then there's a disco afterwards, so there was much more drinking. And so by the time we'd packed the props, and I was driving home, so we weren't drinking at all. We were completely sober, um, but everyone else was like really hammered, and they were like wandering outside the building to have fags and stuff, and sort of falling down a bit. And it was, you know. So anyway, so as we we're about to drive off, we noticed that there were these blokes, and they kept these three blokes, and they were trying to get into the venue. And mum's the word who organised it. Essentially hired security, so the bouncers were just going no you can't come in this is a women's event it's a ticketed event you're not coming in but they sort of tried separately as we watched them as we were taking the props in it and I was like this is like this is weird but whatever so we put the props in drove off we drove in the corner and these three blokes were waiting around the corner and I was like they are waiting I think they are waiting for shit face. They've seen women come out, have a fag, and fall over. Yeah. They're waiting for shit face women to walk around this corner. Well, that's so why else? Why else are they standing yeah. in the dark? And they had like tins of beer, like yeah. cans of beer, and they were just waiting yeah. around the corner from the venue. And we rang. Not like outside a pub, not having a fag, yeah. like in the street. Yeah. So yeah, I said to you, I think we should ring, ring the venue yeah. and say and get the bouncers to say 
just be aware when women are walking off if they're walking off like maybe follow them around the corner and make sure they're all right or get them to get a cab from the door because yeah it was it was a bit a little sinister. It, was, it was it was worrying yeah yeah the media treats men and women differently obviously i mean there's thousands of examples of this not least that whole christmas look at these girls on the i mean list. i don't know what you mean where's your proof where's your proof where's your proof name one fuck <laughs> me but you know it, it, there's a fine line isn't there it is an increasing problem with the amount women are drinking but also everyone just likes to have a go at mums and, and say you know you're not good enough you're not doing that is there what, what do you think the, the happy medium is um well i don't know i i, I think we we do less material about drinking than we used to don't we yeah we, we have got a consciousness and like we wrote we wrote a book and we didn't want all the answers to the problems that you encounter as parents is just have a glass of wine. Sometimes that's a lovely thing. But also we're really conscious in the show we do. And also we also always used to record our podcast quite drunk. And now we've recorded many podcasts quite sober. Turns out we're still as funny. Like it, and also the podcasts aren't as long because we're not rambling on as well. So I think we've got much more of a consciousness as well. And also, like, my kids are older. And when, I, when my kids were younger and I was so tired and so frazzled, I would really look to a glass of wine for, not for answers, but just, again, reward or, reward or release or whatever. And now I, I find that in other things because I've got the energy and the brain yeah. space to kind of go, no, do you know what, tomorrow I'm going to, you know do something really dull like exercising and that will make me feel better and I don't want or tomorrow we've got to travel to Macclesfield to do a gig or whatever so yeah I think I think we've got much more of a consciousness now but it, I think it's it's uh it's still very much out there and and we talked about this on our podcast with Rosamond about when we post photos of ourselves holding alcohol on Instagram that gets a huge amount of likes really yeah and we could almost track that like that when we see when we see you know the the most highly rated posts that we do and it's the ones where you, yeah yeah it's not just as those are, but but they but, but generally they, are, they do very well yeah, yeah. they're yeah. what what would you would say in the wanky world they're one of our brand pillars like you would know that <laughs> it's holding wine it's holding God. wine yeah. holding what a glass of done? what 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 is what has happened it's, yes so. and i think like if we tell the truth, writing material about drinking, I, it's very easy. Yeah. Because um, it gets a big response because it makes our audience feel validated because yeah. they often like drinkers. We've just discussed. We know that yeah. from our shows. So it makes them feel good about themselves and their life choices. Yeah. And also just basic technical things like wine rhymes with a lot of th- things. Uh, and if yeah, they're writing yeah. a comedy also song, beer, I imagine. Yeah. And booze. Yeah, exactly. Like, beer, yeah. Here, you know, yeah, wine, time, line. It, like yeah. it's it's very easy to write a song about drinking. Or to put a drinking gag in a song, so we're yeah. trying to we're trying to not be so lazy with that a bit as well. I think. Yeah, I think it doesn't always have to be the punchline. Yeah, which it was before because a probably we would punchline. There she is. Punch there she is. <laughs> Boom. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, and but you know, I th- there's always room for it. If we didn't say it, it would be weird. But also, yeah. I think you have to. There is a sense of responsibility as well to our audience that we're not going to say it makes everything better because it doesn't always make things. And sometimes being a bit more honest about it, like in our last show, in our Christmas tour we've just done, we had a bit where I would say we would talk about Christmas and we would talk about oh, you know, oh, there's there's always one relative who doesn't drink and everyone would go oh, be like oh, what's wrong with you? Have a drink, it's Christmas. What have you got a board meeting to go to? And everyone would laugh because that's yeah, drink, drink, drink. And then I'd be like I don't care if you're seven. 
and that will get a laugh. And then that's about a seven-year-old drinking, which and an adult encouraging, which is a little bit okay. Um, And then I would say, yeah, I don't care if you're seven. I want you to drink with me and validate my life choices. And at that point, about half of the audience stops laughing. <laughs> but we kept but it important. in because I thought it was important to yeah. keep it in and to kind of say, all right, we can all be funny about, you know, yeah. sobriety and drinking. But let's be honest about when we are trying yeah. to make someone drink. Is that really about... What's that really about? That's really about us saying, can you make me feel better about my drinking? Booze is so... So integral, way more integral, I think, than even meat. I know more people that, that drink booze than, than eat meat, to be honest. I know more really? vegetarians and vegans than I know teetotalers. Yeah. I've always loved it, but now I do feel I've shifted from, in my 20s, before I had kids and stuff, was all about drinking to get pissed. And now it is about, I do like the taste of lager, I like the taste of wine. I like getting pissed as well, but that's a byproduct rather than mm. the main focus of yeah. the event, you know. And yeah. if I go home not pissed because I've only had two glasses of wine, I don't feel short-changed, do you know what I mean? Whereas 20 yeah, years ago, the job. that was the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose now, actually, you tend to get pissed quicker. So, actually, if anything, you're like, wow. Yeah. It used to take me five or six drinks to get to this stage, and now I'm having a right old wobble on break. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Cheap date. Absolutely. What would be your perfect drink? As in, if you were going to sit down and have a drink, who would you be with? Where would you be? What would you be drinking? Oh, I love. I I had a wonderful December when I went on a Christmas tour with Ellie, who's sitting here, and our roadie Steve. And after we did our gig, we'd find the local curry house have a couple of pints and a really good curry and that was lovely mm. that was a really yeah. I, and I again guess, just a couple not enough to get shit based no. just a couple of pints so you wake up the next day you don't feel rubbish like, no that was lovely with food yeah know. yeah <laughs> yeah, and simply my because Steve did most of our Christmas tour. My dad is our roadie as well, um, so so we go and because he's our roadie, he can't get too pissed either. Yeah. So yeah, like having having a curry with him after a gig, and he's an old comedian as well. So he he likes to like talk about us and our performance, which obviously for us is the oh, absolute dream. Dreamy. So listening to someone talk about ourselves <laughs> while drinking is, I think it's contextual for me drinking now. I think it's yeah yeah. I like a nice cold lager like with a curry or on a hot summer's yeah. day. Where I love a rosé but I, only in the summer like I can't drink rosé in the winter or you know so yeah or, or my my happiest sort of drinking and I'm going to sound a complete wanker is having a really good piece of meat in Italy with a carafe yes just the local red yes. like just whatever comes out of the tap yeah. like it's I, just... I'm saying, yeah, I can't drink my wine. Oh, oh can you not? No. Yeah, it got to a point where I was about in my 30s, it just started disagreeing with me. Um, can I, I can have one, maybe two, but oh. after that, I'm, like, I'm done. That's... Oh, I love, I love a, a really crispy, like a, you know, like a light red and a really good piece of meat. Oh, that's where we differ. You see, like a Pinot Noir, yes, I can't. I do. Oh, it tastes like the inside of a Coke. Oh, now can. it's I over now, we'll have to end the podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.